Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects podcast. You're here with myself, Nicholas Blank. In the same time zone, I have Warren Dutoy. Hello. And in a very far removed time zone, not that we're going to pick on him for any antipodean sport losses of late, Chris Goosen. Hello. I have no idea what you're talking about, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what losses I could say. But okay. Well, <laughs> Well, as you know, as, as a, uh, our, uh, I guess, um, Australian representative, they, there's been w wins and losses. And of course, I'm going to lump everything that happened to New Zealand on, on, on plate as well. And right, right. For, for our fans who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, there's things like rugby and cricket that we, we care about rather deeply as uh, competing countries. Yes, I'd say cricket for sure, but we're not in that part. Well, actually, they are playing cricket at the moment, I think. I, I... Mm. Not local to us anyway. Um, I, I don't watch rugby ever, so um, I, I wouldn't know about that. But yeah, cricket, sure. Uh, I'm sure our guest also probably likes cricket quite a lot as well. We have a cracker of a guest today. We have Prashanth who is joining us from another time zone. And uh, gosh, he's got a wonderful introduction. I don't want to take anything away from that because he has a marvelous history. So Prashanth, would you mind introducing yourself to our followers? Hey everyone, um, hey Nick, Warren, Chris, thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. And I'm uh, super excited to talk to you. I kind of went through the audience that uh, uh, your podcast has. They are, they are the people whom I like to talk a lot about. Um, I'll get to that in a bit, but uh, um, hey everyone, I'm Prashant Nanjurampa. I'm based out of Bangalore, India. Uh, I'm born in Bangalore, but worked uh, in a lot of countries all along my career. But uh, over the past uh, six, seven years, I have been uh, stationed in Bangalore, but working uh, for Progress, uh, which is headquartered in Boston. And here, I, my responsibility uh, is uh, product management and marketing for uh, Chef line of products. Uh, we acquired Chef um, about two years ago, uh, and uh, Chef has uh, had started uh, uh, Infrastructure as code, it was one of the uh, tool, um, the namesake uh, chef, which is uh, which, uh, which is kind of very popular. And uh, if you are in DevOps, I don't think it needs any introduction. Um, it was in the realm of infrastructure as code, and it, it has been around about 12 years. And uh, we acquired it uh, two years ago. And um, all along my career, I have worked in embedded uh, as well as uh, cloud. Uh, development and in past 10 to 12 years, I've been focused on uh, product management. And until acquisition of Chef, I have been um, building products uh, mostly on platform as a service um, mm -hmm. and also software as a service for enterprise uh, software. Uh, I have been a huge, huge uh, beneficiary of DevOps, uh, uh, which which has given me, uh, which had given me a lot of insights of uh, advantages of taking DevOps um, as a um, methodology and as a part of our culture, uh, uh, organization culture, and also using infrastructure as code. But I had no experience building uh, such a product. And uh, when we acquired Chef, uh, it worked out for my ad advantage. Um, I started with no presumptions. I had to, uh, me and a couple of others who came in from Progress, we had to talk to our customers and our solution architects, customer success managers uh, who, 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 who had immense experience. I spoke to about 200-odd uh, customers in that process and learned um, what variations they have. I think we kind of box DevOps and Agile 
in a very very uh, typecasted manner uh, but there is so many variations we have small businesses we have large enterprises we have tech companies like google um, facebook you know all of them there are so many different flavors um, had opportunity to uh, know uh, learn and uh, in fact bring that into my day job which is to build uh, uh, products and uh, to uh, increase our reach of our product portfolio so super excited to talk to you all that's wonderful. What a what a cracking introduction. So thank you. I want to lean on both Warren as well as Prashant because both of you are in this DevOps world, slightly different angles, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more on the show. But between the two of you, do you think we can agree on a little bit of a definition of what DevOps actually is for the normal human being? If you had to explain it to your mom. How would you explain <laughs> DevOps? <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think it's a bit tough. Look, I think the first misconception about DevOps that anybody makes is that it's a product. Like when somebody says DevOps, like if somebody's using Azure DevOps, they'll think it's Azure DevOps. If somebody's using let's say Chef or Atlassian or um, GitHub Actions or whatever the, you know, whatever the, the, the product may be, they'll immediately associate DevOps with that, right? Um, mm. They don't sort of think that DevOps is more of a methodology, how you do things, not mm. what you do them with. Um, and it's bigger than just a CICD pipeline. Um, you know, it, DevOps, I mean, sorry, CICD for the humans amongst us. Uh, integration, <laughs> continuous integration, continuous delivery. Um, if so, like, and then again, it's. I mean, you, you can you can go into agile, and you can go into sprints, and you can go into boards, and you can go into all of this lovely stuff that exists mm. inside of DevOps. DevOps isn't just for software development. It can also be for deploying infrastructure. It can also be for so many different things, mm. um, but it's, it's the methodology behind it, right? And I think that, that there's, the definition is different for most people's depending on how they implement it inside the organization. Mm. I guess, suppose it could <laughs> like, not waterfall. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what would you say? Um, I agree. I think it's definitely, let's say what it is not. Um, it's yeah. definitely yeah. not a tool, like, yeah. um, uh, a tool or it is yeah. not a process. Mm. Um, I think these are uh, uh, some misconceptions. I think it's, it's a cultural element. It has a cultural element to it. It has, uh, it has a, a, a host of philosophies um, and practices and tools. Uh, let me kind of answer this question in a different way on how I understood DevOps uh, in my experience. Right? Mm, uh, so uh, when I moved into product management uh, role, uh, it was a startup in India called Nalarity Communications, and we were virtualizing telecom, uh, a telephone line for small and medium businesses. So we were in the business of uh, providing telephone numbers over the cloud. Uh, and give this EPBAX or IDR uh, capabilities. If someone calls, we, uh, anyone, can, any small business can go to a website, click and get a virtual number. Um, so this had a data center component because as part of regulation, we had to get physical copper wires 
uh, routed into data center and uh, we had to virtualize it that means uh, uh, you know we had to make that available as software and then make it available to end users in a very easy manner now there were three different uh, players here one is our data uh, database administrators who knew uh, and it was on bare metal right um, and they knew only few things and uh, there was a database there and there was uh, these physical devices where copper wires were coming and getting connected and then we have middleware developers um, who are responsible for create, you know using open source software and others to uh, abstract the complexity and then there is an application developer who uh, who is typically a, a full stack developer or a web web developer who makes it uh, accessible to uh, end user and we were always like i think first 6 months it took me about 6 months to figure out why are we so slow and it took uh, the main reason was people didn't really know what was happening one layer below them and most importantly they didn't empathize uh, if the database went down they were pointing at a person and saying hey it's his problem um it we took uh, out of necessity we took a step of um, uh, you know consolidating teams and in that process we said a, a team needs to not just look after application development but also managing the infrastructure and deploying it right and this brought so many uh, like issues uh, into surface but uh, after 3 to 4 months of that journey we we had a small team about 6 to 7 people and each small team of 6 to 7 uh, people were responsible for a particular functionality and they were responsible for building it deploying it and even managing after it is being deployed right and this is what i i feel is the very essence of devops where a team who does not own just developing application but also owns the responsibility of uh, deploying and making sure that it is running in a consistent and a reliable manner and the practices of uh, uh, devops the tool chains that come in devops uh, they all help in making this happen uh, to make your uh, deployment faster reliable and uh, taking your product uh, uh, you know to market faster that's a good one yeah faster i think that's definitely one of the things that we've all experienced here is the speed at which things can be deployed I mean I think if you have to look at containers and I have to say it every show kubernetes I mean they were born out of devops right so like you think kubernetes came after devops became a thing right so you would the the deployment methodologies that you would use to deploy to a kubernetes cluster like rolling updates and you know that sort of stuff that was born out of devops um you know being able to um deploy something in a container without actually having to replace the entire os right or build the entire right. os and all the frameworks and things that 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 came from devops right because we figured out that there was an easier way to do that you know automate it and make sure that there was a less for you to do so that you could get it out faster uh, completely agree i think one thing that teams who are successful uh, you know are seeing the success through devops they can't stop improving their efficiency mm -hmm. uh, like i uh, your point was spot on where i think kubernetes or containers um, i think containers first kubernetes a little later yeah. Uh, yeah came out of the necessity of making that faster 
Faster, um, yeah. We had virtual machines. That was the first uh, instance of that. And package everything in a virtual machine. And um, that's where Chef Infrastructure as Code and all of these uh, comes in. Um, that gave the first, um, uh, removed the first hurdle of moving away from the bare metal. And then that wasn't fast enough because uh, the operating system doesn't change much. Um, the software that you install doesn't change much. What changes more and more is the software that right. we build. Right? And then containers came in. Uh, we had various versions, uh, you know, Mesosphere, uh, ECS, various, all of those things evolved. I think now uh, there is a lot of um, uh, centralization or um, uh, uh, consolidation towards Kubernetes, all mm. in the spirit of uh, uh, fast, moving fast without having to compromise on quality. I don't know if you've seen, like, just as an anecdote uh, on LinkedIn, there's a documentary of Kubernetes. Have you seen it? So it's like this 20-minute video. Uh, I think it's in two parts, actually, where they tell you how Kubernetes was born, right? And obviously, Mesosphere was there, and Docker was there, and Docker had taken the world by storm, and it was this big thing. And, and there was Docker Swarm also. Yeah, Docker Swarm was coming, yeah, and then you know how hard this tiny little team inside of Google had to push to get the authorization to actually build Kubernetes. It's actually really cool. And then next thing you know, Brandon Burns ends up working for us, right? So he's now working at Microsoft. But um, it, was, <laughs> it was super funny to see that. And I think, like, okay, so then that's a question for you. Your next question is, what is your favorite product? Okay or solution or service that you've seen in your career where you are now, you, look, you, you, even if you built it, that's cool too, like that you've seen it has changed the way you do things. So like what has impacted your life the most yeah. when it comes to DevOps right now? So, um... You put me in a spot, but there are. The no, you can say I'm you can say GitHub Actions. I mean, no, that's cool. The, 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 the reason that I'm thinking is um, th there were so many of them. I think this is a, a microchasm. There, uh, we had so many such changes. But uh, if I think about it, there are uh, two uh, things that I would say which impacted the most. One is the concept of continuous integration and delivery, right? The CI/CD, as we know, um, that actually made the Make, uh, help the uh, quality aspect uh, and uh, you know shift left is now a, a thing to talk about but uh, we realized about that um, very early uh, without knowing that it is shift left I think CICD helped developers uh, not slog their asses you know fixing the same thing again and again they could do something move on uh, the ability of uh, having that test hardness or that safety hardness um, uh, where you know that if it passes through these uh, checkpoints, things will pass. Right? Um, we have it, it had evolution of its own. Um, when I was a developer, I used Jenkins, but um, I think there is there is lot many more in that world. But I think the CI/CD is uh, the first bit which helped. Uh, it was not so much. I, I mean, CD came a little early, but I think CI helped the dev. And CD kind uh, of help the, bring this uh, whole dev and ops together. And on the deployment side, I, I, I go hands down to infrastructure as code. Right? I, and that, that made um, things simple. Uh, and infrastructure as code comes in two flavors. Um, one is for provisioning. 
and second is for configuring. Um, and both of these things were a laborious task. I had, I have spent like, I think two or three nights uh, continuous with our ops team trying to figure out what is wrong with uh, the server in Bangalore, our data center in Bangalore and data center in Delhi. Uh, it's working in Bangalore, but it is not working in Delhi. Uh, it's the same code. The, the, I mean, at the end of it, it was just one configuration. Um, uh, you know, instead of 16-bit, it was 32-bit. It's something small, but it took like uh, six, uh, six people, three days to fix. I think infrastructure as code solved that phenomenally. Uh, you can have consistency and you can codify um, and also you can version control it, right? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, you, you then roll back uh, or you roll forward, you can, it becomes light code. You see, uh, you broke like, it. Um, so, you can see sorry? you broke it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's where there also there is nuance. One is provisioning and another is configuration management. Uh, provisioning is required for you to set up the basic uh, infrastructure and um, pro configuration is once the infrastructure is set up, you go and um, uh, you know set the bits and bytes to make sure that uh, the end state is maintained. I think I would put uh, these two as my favorite. I, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I have a question for the collective. So I'm going to look at what Chris and I do for a living, which for decades, frankly, has centered around virtual machines and networking and um, even in Azure, if we deploy of a template, somewhere there's still a, a network and a virtual machine and then there's something inside that virtual machine and then we have to patch it, right? And this kind of goes away from DevOps to SOE, more of a standard operating environment where mm -hmm. I want to build something and then I want to maintain it and it'll, it'll, it may have a, um, a whole patch cycle that's attached to it, right? Are we still talking DevOps? Can I build virtual machines and put things inside those virtual machines and then maintain not only those versions, but address the security patches that come from for the, the operating system, maybe change my networking configuration without destroying everything that I have, but maintaining the solution that I have, which may even contain live data. Yeah. You can sell chef. I don't know. So my, my question is, am I still in the DevOps world? Is this, with, is. are we maintaining with DevOps or are we just creating things? Because my understanding mm, of, of CICD is that I have source code that's sitting in a repository somewhere and then I update what's in the in the repository, and that's continuous integration, yeah. and then so continuous I, deployment comes along and goes, Bleh. here's the new version, right? But whatever <laughs> was there isn't there anymore, right? I, I was smiling now, because of two reasons. One, uh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. You're saying something. No, 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 you go, you go, you go. <laughs> so two things uh, was constantly in my mind. First, the book. Um, Phoenix project. I think um, that, um, that you know there are that's a, a such an excellent book, and it has so much um, humor. I don't know if it was by intent or uh, maybe I have a dark sense of humor and I found it humorous. But um, 
I think it's the first one, but I, whatever you are saying is uh, very well captured in that book. And uh, they, they talk about how DevOps are, um, you know, uh, adopting these methodologies help them. And, uh, and it, it's the same same kind of concept that came up. And second, it um, like Warren was saying, you know, that's where Chef is. Like we we help solve exactly the same problem, uh, okay. and we help um, organizations. Um, codify their definition of virtual machines right? what goes into that virtual machine, uh, an operating system, a specific version of that operating system. And then uh, if you need open JDK, if you need the database, if you need, um, this, uh, uh, let's say, a uh, load balancer, right? and, uh, you know, uh, and what specific bits and bytes of configuration that it needs to have is what we help um, do in an automated way. And there are two aspects to it. One is end state management, which is where you say that I, no matter what, I want my virtual machines uh, or my compute or network to have these configurations. If it changes, alert me. And if uh, and they typically have uh, some workflows. If they if it needs uh, approval, if there are no workflows, you bring it back to that end state. And so you don't need the uh, conventional SRE to go keep watching for these things for every new every small change. Um, for example, someone did a um, someone went and did a monkey patch right, um, on a particular uh, server. So the end state says that I want it to be uh, on a version two dot three dot four, but uh, a monkey patch was done and put to version three dot zero. So these uh, if the end state management uh, makes sure that uh, every hour or every uh, periodic cycle. It monitors and whatever has drifted, and then it brings it back. Mm-hmm. And these drifts are reported as incidents. So your CIO and others can monitor that and then assess, um, was it intentional? Uh, was it um, by accident? And they take corrective action. But important thing is your infrastructure stays in a reliable state. And so this is first part of it. And second part of it is the patch management. Uh, I think that's quintessential. Um, there could be, for example, um, uh, we recently had uh, day zero vulnerability, right? Um, uh, like that, many such vulnerabilities get surfaced and uh, it is imminent uh, for you to go patch them. And this is very simple as upgrading a specific version, but uh, I mean, that's what people think. But it is not as simple as that. Uh, we have customers who are uh, having close to about 100,000 uh, virtual machines. Right? We call them nodes in a private cloud. Um, and they, they, ha- they run critical infrastructure, not just, yeah. uh, you know, uh, if it goes down, there is business loss. But if things get screwed up, they, they have to pay whole loads and loads of money because they operate in banking, financial, such regulated areas. So you got to roll them out in a controlled manner. So you apply patch in a small set, uh, mm-hmm. see if that works, um, if it maintains that uh, acceptable end state, and then you roll out. So these are possible uh, with tools like Chef, and uh, there are many others who who are in this domain, which help uh, 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 which help make this smooth, um, much much smoother than what it used to be several years ago. Um, and uh, uh, that is very much part of uh, uh, DevOps because this is the base, right? Um, mm. I think Warren was talking sometime back that uh, when we talk about DevOps, uh, there are infrastructure teams and there are application teams. 
the uh, we mostly talk about uh, devops in the context of application teams but i think infrastructure management teams also uh, adopt this methodology this culture uh, because of which they become efficient and they can roll out the baseline infrastructure that's the product that they offer to their customers who are developers who are uh, uh, teams within an organization that's what they give them so for them they can roll out mm-hmm. such uh, newer versions of the platform faster and in a reliable manner follow up question on on that <clears throat> and uh, warren earlier you mentioned bicep you know i'm a single guy a simple guy not a single guy <laughs> i was going to say just like, my you're wife going to be in front of it just how to um, how to have a very um interesting uh, welcome home you know I, p- I post on my facebook that i'm single no, that would be wrong uh, so from a simplicity point of view you mentioned bicep and bicep hmm. is this provisioning language right and chef yeah. is this provisioning language well how do i choose not really so you know the other thing is um i think a lot of a lot of companies develop their own language um but it's because it makes sense to them mm. right so like for instance bicep which is the next iteration of you know arm templates or actually utilizes arm templates and those sorts of things it just makes more sense now it's you know it's mm. very i mean if you have to compare uh, bicep and terraform together they're very very similar i mean and then if you look at like let's say ansible and then you look at the manifests from puppet or chef or whatever the case would be i mean chef just decided to call them something rad like recipes <laughs> so, i mean that's quite cool right so um you know so i think every company in some way shape or form decides to use their language in a way that makes more sense so that someone can understand it and use it um you know you mentioned sre earlier and so for those who don't know sre is a site reliability reliability engineer right? mm-hmm. that's technically a job spec that was created for things like desired state configuration and chef and stuff so like in order to be a site reliability engineer you need to know devops of chef and then you mm. can be one right mm. because it's as prashant said um you know you can you can control the desired state of the machine and make sure that it is always there right mm-hmm. so somebody and the, the the coolest thing is like let's say somebody wants to test something right they'll go and they'll test that monkey patch knowing <clears throat> that in an hour it's gone yeah mm-hmm. right so they'll test it like that they'll see what happens but they know that in 15 minutes half an hour an hour it's gone which is great because it's like you said safety net it's just going to go away and it'll revert back to a version that it did that it did work on and then you can do these like rolling updates when you were talking about the rings earlier i mean if you have to think hundreds of thousands of vms and things like that we know by speaking to certain people in the product group that there's millions of bare metal exchange servers running yes. exchange online yes right how on earth do you think they can configure a million exchange servers mm. exactly what mm. is this mm. so but, so possible. here's here's what i can, can i make a go ahead mm. i was going to say so my question on this and and what i'm hearing here is 
I've, I've sort of come into this, I think, possibly with a similar to understanding to Nick in that, you know, to me, this whole DevOps movement of continuous improvement methodology is, is very focused on how you iterate change through your through your business, right? And, or through your application development lifecycle, possibly through your configuration lifecycle of, of your infrastructure. And But it sounds to me like that can, this is a tool that you could use to actually help with things like updating, right? Security updates and things like that on, on, on your operating systems. I mean, we know right now, and we talk about it all the time on this podcast, right? That you got to do the basics right first if you want to be secure. Mm-hmm. You got to get your stuff patched and updated. And, and, and if you look at what's happening in sort of the ransomware landscape right now, realistically, like the barrier to entry has never been lower for these, these guys because as soon as the patch hits the market, they're basically reverse engineering that patch and they're going after yeah. every single environment that hasn't yet updated it, right? So essentially there's a clock or a stopwatch that starts um, as soon as someone releases a patch, every patch, every patch Tuesday, these guys are reverse engineering, guys and gals, folks are reverse engineering um, updates, and and they're going after trying to actively exploit environments that haven't yet updated these their systems. So, and it sounds to me like th- these types of tools that we're talking about here might actually help and can help organizations with that. Because let's be honest, updating stuff is hard, right? I mean, even, you know, we all have home networks that probably are, are, are larger than some small businesses and updating everything on your home network is hard, right? I threw, out a, I threw out an internet router the other day because the ISP, my very cool ISP here in Australia wouldn't let me update the firmware because they lock it to their own firmware. To me, that's unacceptable, right? Like I, if, I, if I cannot update something, that's not acceptable. Now, most people don't care about that and will quite happily continue to use that. And I'm sure I'll be able to sell it on eBay, but um, it's not something that I want to do, right? <coughs> updating stuff is hard. We've seen it the time and time again. Um, and, and so I like what I'm hearing here because it sounds like, you know, perhaps the answer to our questions have been under our nose all along. So but it's yes, not and... easy. Sorry, Prashant. It's not easy. I mean, you have this learning curve of having to learn this tool chain thing, right? And most of us who come out of the infrastructure landscape understand patching and there's a WSUS server or there's something that spits out RPMs and somehow things get updated and we, we've got a rough control over it because that's scheduled and at least we can go to the control panel and we can look at things, right? And then the industry changed and PowerShell came along and we had PowerShell desired state configuration, which was a little, to be fair, still is a mystery to a lot of people, right? So now you're saying to IT pros, not only for their homes, but also I'm, I'm patching with, with SCCM, you know, config manager or, or MEM. I'm patching you're giving with away something, your age right? here, Nick. Sorry? You're giving away your age here, Nick. Well, you know, I like to say I'm, I'm rather giving away my wisdom. <laughs> so you understand this patching thing, right? And that in itself mm. is hard. So now you're saying, hang on, folks. DevOps, right? I want you to embrace DevOps for patching. And brains are just going to melt down. Yeah, I mean, Nick, uh, patching is important. It's essential evil in many ways. Um, but I think that's not, uh, th- that's a problem. But I think uh, going back to what Chris was saying on maintaining that baseline security, there is a bigger problem than that. 
uh, which is knowing what is secure mm. right? and to actually ensure that what is secure is made available so and goes back to again that's a very people centric problem um, because you have cisos or security professionals who knows what is the version which is acceptable right which is which now uh, i say acceptable because i think the risk capacity is different in different organizations um sometimes some version of uh, some uh, you know uh, cdes are acceptable but uh, let's say there are uh, smes who know what is a version of software a specific software which you are allowed to use in your organization as per your uh, uh, risk appetite but the irony is they have no influence even today in many organizations to make sure that that is implemented all they do is send out mails or threaten uh, in order to stop the next deployment if that is not rolled out or there is um, waivers that are provided for 3 months 6 months um, you know and so on uh, because they have no influence of making sure that this right uh, software is deployed and because mm. the organizations which are moving fast they have adopted they have realized this very very uh, early uh, and they have made sure that uh the people who uh, who know the security and compliance aspect they tell that if you are um, going to use let's say jdk uh for example uh should you use open jdk or should you use uh, uh, oracle jdk right uh, developers uh, mostly yeah, if you if you let them they choose open jdk or at least i that's what was my preference because there was a notion of it's free um keeping that philosophy aside but you know people make such choices but how do you ensure that uh, from day one you have uh, you have taken the software which you believe is safe for your organization it starts from there and um, that also is possible uh, by this ensured configuration um, and it is possible purely because of codifying things if organizations have not embraced infrastructure as code maybe they can do all these things but uh, i'll take a leap and say it's like very very difficult and almost mm-hmm. impossible for them to make it seamless like if they take infrastructure as code then if we go back to our development days if i have a piece of code i can test it right i write a unit test and i see if uh, it's matching uh, do i is my operating system version matching to what my ciso wants right and they can write this uh, test cases uh, uh which says okay rhcl 8 so and so version uh, uh open jdk uh, is not acceptable right uh, oracle jdk is what we want so they write this so called test and it is tested against this configuration and every time the it operator uh, changes the version of a particular software it can be tested against this uh, policy that a ciso or someone has uh, written or help author and mm. so this is this becomes seamless if you think about it as a code and uh, 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 then i mean there are other challenges but i think if you uh, wherever organizations have embraced this as a code then uh, security compliance they are very logical next steps and uh, they are very very smooth as uh, compared to uh, other organizations which have not i I'd like to take us back to something that we were talking about off air Prashant if you remember mm-hmm. and it's it's a little bit uh, controversial so I I'd, I'd, I'd like to make the statement and then yeah. I'd like you to unpack it a little bit and mm-hmm. what we said 
or actually, I believe, uh, I think it was you who said this, is that developers yeah. have got more power than the CISO. Yeah, I mean, let me rephrase that now, uh, because that is for sure going to be controversial. Uh, but I think what is more uh, uh, acceptable and also um, close to reality is the purchasing power has moved uh, or purchasing decision has moved from CISO to developers, right? especially in the cloud native domain. So I have a fresh graduate in my team who has made decision to buy use um, uh, a new AWS service. Right? Uh, and our CISO team has no clue about it because uh, it, it, they do an audit on a quarterly basis or a six month basis. Uh, that's how they work. But our developer has gone ahead and started using this service and it is in production, right? It, this is counter to what used to happen in the past, right? Um, CISOs or CIO used to make the decision of uh, you got to use, like, let's go back to Oracle JDK, right? You you have license only for Oracle JDK, you can't use OpenJDK. Or you have to use RHEL, not CentOS. And those things were enforceable uh, because um, they, uh, in the infrastructure team or CISO team was kind of guardian. But now um, the decision-making is so decentralized that the purchasing power has moved from CISO to a developer. Wow. <laughs> and that's, Warren, that's you scary. had a reaction in all of that. And this is what you used to do for a living, right? So if we wind back uh, one or two or 15 years, this was you sitting in a data center at three o'clock in the morning, having yeah. to deploy code and fixing stuff when it broke. Yeah, look, um, but uh, you know, I think- Not on AWS though. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> well, <laughs> no. I mean, I don't, I don't even think there was an AWS when, when that happened. And I remember I was using, uh, subversion. So oh, yeah. there was no gets. It was subversion, and you would check your puppet manifests into subversion, and that is how you would roll out your changes. That would be the way to roll out a patch or a new application. And then setting up of the machine was spacewalk, if I remember correctly, with CentOS. So it was CentOS, and then. Spacewalk used to do base config and just make sure that Puppet got installed. <laughs> once, once that was there, you used DNS and the prefix of the DNS host name to determine what software the machine got. <laughs> so, so you renamed the machine. That was a bit of a problem. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, back then that was what? Two and a half, three thousand yeah. servers for like 10 people. But it's, it's as Prashant said, it's, you know, it's gotten to the point now that if there's no guardrails um, in place, and speaking of which, guardrails is also an infrastructure as code thing now. So, mm -hmm. you know, policy management is also codified now. So you can go and say, you're not allowed to deploy X and you're not allowed to deploy Y. Um, no public IP addresses can be built in Azure. No, you know, public mm -hmm. IP addresses can be built in AWS, whatever the case may be. Is. Um, and so, now we've gotten to the point that you can sort of control those things. But again, as Prashant said, if, if a developer sees something new, he's going to try it. Yes. 
and to warren your point uh, uh, there is a one small but very important change there of uh, whatever you said developer cannot uh, use this port or you cannot use this service that was there previously also but it was postponed mm. and uh, it, it was yeah. an incident right uh, but what has changed now because of all these uh, tools uh, infrastructure as code policy as code compliance and code these things are much ahead in the development or deployment life cycle so before you deploy something onto production in your uh, dev instance or in your integration itself because the policy policy is codified you get alerted and um, just like unit test failing your security test fails so you cannot move your infrastructure changes from de uh, development to integration right you have to engage with your ciso you have to engage with that security or compliance mm -hmm. professional then and there either update the policy get a waiver or change your infrastructure configuration Hmm. I was dealing with a customer the other day who's also financial services customer and they they've got this great way of working at the moment where what they'll do is they'll take a specific product um, or service let's say it's synapse or it's um, Azure app service or it's a storage account or whatever the case would be is and they'll take that that particular service and they'll look at what features are available for that service, what can be turned on, what can be turned off, okay? And then what they'll do is they'll build an infrastructure as code template, and they will put that in a repository. And then they will say, you wanna use it? It comes from that repo. So if anybody wants to deploy any sort of service, they have to deploy it as infrastructure as code from that specific repo, because then they know that it's configured the way it should be. Now, you can't deploy anything if it's not there. You don't have access to the Azure portal. You, there's no browser access here to go and deploy something or change a setting or whatever. Has to be done via the code. So, you know, you can then ensure, and look, from that perspective, I mean, then what happens is they don't actually have to have such hectic policy management to begin with, kind of right, in the start because nobody can deploy anything unless it's been approved in that repo first, so which is another way of looking what, at it. Uh, in fact, this is what exactly what we are seeing in um, many of our large financial organizations, uh, customer base, they do the same thing. Right? There is a centralized team uh, who kind of continuously work on creating mm. different version of these uh, infrastructure as code, which has policy, security policies baked into it. Um, and there are different variations for dev, integration, production. Uh, of course, the degree kind of becomes uh, more severe when you go towards production. And then the application development teams have flexibility to take this and deploy. And the advantage of this is one application team uh, is not you know, blocked. At the same time, from day one, they are compliant and they are secure. So, um... I, so a question I have, I guess, Prasant, is let's say because we've talked about a lot of things uh, over the last sort of fifty minutes, fifty-four minutes or so, right? We've talked about uh, and we've named a lot of things. We've talked about infrastructure as code. We've talked about Puppet and we've talked about Chef and all of these other things. Um, let's say I'm someone listening to the show right now and I'm interested in getting a little bit more involved in uh, with you know infrastructure as code and learning a little bit more about DevOps. 
Like, where do I even start at this point? Because to me, it sounds like there are so many options around there. You end up getting this sort of analysis paralysis because you you look at things and you're just like, I, I don't even know what do I look at arm templates? Do I look at bicep? What do, what do I do? What would you yeah. what would you suggest to someone like that? So um, one, I think um, uh, DevOps is popular because of the um, very very uh, vibrant community it has. Right? So you don't have to feel alone. There are so many experts, and it's not a new concept anymore. There are community um, events that are happening all the time. For example, we are doing ChefConf, which is uh, uh, one of the DevOps uh, uh, community event where people love to gather. And we have an approximately 30, 70, where 30% of presentation is from chef employees, 70% is from the customers and community. Right? Um, so I, uh, one place is to hang out in those uh, sort of community. Um, I think uh, KCDC was one of them. Like, there are DevOps days that are happening uh, in various places. So, um, you know, ShopConf is next week. So uh, anyone who's interested can hang around in those kind of events. And there you bring, you get real um, experience. People with real experience, they talk about what problem they have solved, uh, they had initially, and how did they solve. Like, this, is, uh, this is, I would say, for little advanced. Uh, people who have uh, got a flavor of what DevOps is or what infrastructure as code is, they have applied some of these things in their organizations, but are having hurdles. Um, and this is at a practitioner level. I think uh, when I talk, think about DevOps, um, I always uh, think that we need to appeal to practitioners because they are the ones who have a lot of things. Um, management, of course, they, they sign the check, uh, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, their uh, objective is faster time to market, lesser defects, you know, the metrics that help the business. But mm -hmm. the real uh, pain is, uh, the, uh, is faced by people in the trenches. So I think these community events are focused towards uh, uh, those practitioners and uh, uh, chef conflict events help uh, advance, um, intermediate to advanced users to get those nuggets of experience and apply it in their organization. Um, for example, a couple of years ago, we learned, right, in Chef, we learned that um, organizations like Uber and Facebook are using Chef to manage their desktop in a zero-touch manner. So the experience that a Uber employee gets is uh, a sealed um, MacBook Pro or MacBook arrive at their doorstep. They open and they have received a, a username password in their personal email ID. They provide that. And after that, they have to do nothing. There is no IT administrator involved. There is no uh, call to your uh, uh, organization. Yeah, it ins installs Chef Client. Um, and once Chef Client is installed, uh, then Chef Client kind of pulls all the software that is required and brings the laptop to an end state uh, desired configuration. We learned about it and then we figured out how can we make a product out of it and we productized and um, you know, it's a thing now, right? Chef desktop manager is a thing because of our community kind of talking to us and telling how it can That's be. That's so cool. Right? That is cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Remember those days when we had like in-person conferences? <laughs> Actually, you know what? I just got back traveling from, from, from a couple uh, over in America and uh, man, I had a blast because it was so good to just be in, you know, with people doing community stuff. And, and you know, online is great. It's, it's, it makes it uh, accessible to other folks who maybe can't travel, but that community rubbing shoulders, yeah. 
that type of stuff is just invaluable. It really is. And it, it you know, it's very energizing for me to to be in there. Sorry to detract, but I think that's 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 a really good place. So you're saying community um, and community events is a, is a good place to start. Are there any online resources or anything like that that you think would be sort of helpful, valuable? Yeah, of course. Um, I think um, there, there are two to three, I think uh, CICD and infrastructure as code. These are the two I would say as fundamental uh, for anyone who wants to start as DevOps um, in their journey. So uh, Terraform, Chef, Puppet, um, uh, Ansible, we are, uh, are the players in infrastructure as code. Learning about uh, these products, although Bicep and Terraform, I'll put in one category, uh, Puppet, Chef, Ansible, I'll put in another category, but infrastructure as code, learning about it is one uh, aspect. And then CICD is another aspect. TTOPS is another um, uh, thing to learn about it. It kind of has made uh, seamless migration, uh, seamless uh, you know integration with CICD and a few other things. So I would say CICD, infrastructure as code, and GitOps. These are the three uh, resources that uh, people should look for. Um, I can send some links uh, uh, if you have show notes, uh, which yeah. you can put in. That would be great. Uh, yeah. That would be uh, great. I'll, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for that. That's been. I mean, I think that's super helpful. And any any links or anything like that, we'll we'll be sure to put them in the show notes. So before we go. Um, you know, is there anything that you want to plug uh, in, you know, particularly, I know you mentioned ChefConf. Um, also, like, do you, how would you like to be found on social media or things like that? Twitter, LinkedIn, those, yeah. those places. So I am mostly active on LinkedIn. Um, Prashant mentioned up five, how you can find me. Um, I would send the link and if you can put that on notes, I'll be happy to talk to uh, the people who are uh, listeners of your podcast and uh, see what appeal to them what uh, sounded like bullshit right? and maybe we can learn we can have a conversation and uh, uh, see how, how we can make uh, things better and second um, uh, yeah i mean we talked about chefconf maybe let, let me talk about that and uh, say that i think september 2 is where we are having chefconf for two days and uh, if you are interested to know about uh, commands as code, security as code, infrastructure as code, do uh, join us. Uh, we have actually folks, some uh, really practitioners coming and talking to us. In fact, organizations like Google is coming and talking on how they are using Shepinbeck and um, uh, uh, to, to run, to secure Kubernetes or actually to maintain compliance in Kubernetes. And SAP is another large document where they have about uh, nine to 10 million uh, cloud uh, resources, which they are maintaining continuous compliance through compliance uh, code. So you have great uh, uh, practices that will be shared. Uh, not all are chef related, uh, but uh, there's a flavor of chef in it. Um, I, even if you are not a chef customer, if you want to learn about infrastructure code, compliance code, quality code, that's a great way to hang out. Um, and uh, we'd love to have uh, any conversations. You should reach out to me on LinkedIn and I can, um, um, you know, connect back with any of you. That's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And you said you said Kunetis that you made Warren happy. His day is just going to be amazing now. That's right. <laughs> well, Prasanna, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time and really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for hosting me. It was fun. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoyed putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud. Or alternatively, drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc. <laughs>